Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talking Tessel. This is the official podcast of the Tessel Resource Center at Concordia University. In this podcast, we talk to ESL learners, teachers, specialists, and BEAD students, and this is to help you be the best teacher you can be and broaden your horizons in the field. So today we have a very special episode because I will be joined by Yvette, who is the lead coordinator at the Tesla Resource Center and a graduate of the Tesla program. So after graduating back in 2012, Yvette first taught a few years in primary and secondary here in Montreal and also a bit in LA. But then back in 2016, she found a teaching opportunity in Shanghai, China. She decided to teach in China and this decision changed her life. So Yvette is joining me today to share her story and talk about that experience. And this episode is really uh, for anyone interested in teaching in China or who just wants to hear a really cool teaching story. So hi, Yvette. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sivan. Thank you very much for having me. I love all your podcasts. I think they're so relevant to our community. Um, so I'm very happy to be here and uh, to share a bit of my experience as well in the field. I am so happy to have you join. I'm so looking forward to this conversation because I've also taught a little bit in China, but not like the full two years. Like it just completely, completely changed my life. So I'm really excited to talk about it with you. For sure. It, it's different from our day-to-day -day experiences um, and uh, in general, the education system we have here. Totally. Okay, so let's get started with our first question, which is, why did you decide to teach in China? So what were, the, what were the steps leading up to that? When I started the program, it goes way back to when I started. When I started the program, one of my goals was to teach abroad. And uh, uh, life happens, right? So I met someone during the program, during my studies, and my plans changed, of course, because I was in a relationship. So after graduating, I taught in elementary school here in Boisbriand. Um, so I taught ESL, of course, in elementary school. After that, we, him and I moved to LA, where I went back to school. I did um, a master's in education, and then I taught in a high school. Uh, the relationship didn't work. You know, again, life happens. That's all right. <laughs> relationship didn't work. So I came back to Canada, and I thought, what do I do with my life? Do I teach at a school? Do I teach in a primary school, high school? Do I go back to my dream, which was to teach abroad? And so that's what I did. So at first, China wasn't my first option. It was actually Spain so, or mm -hmm. Spain or a Spanish speaking country. Um, I spoke Spanish, but it wasn't perfect. And I still do speak Spanish, but it's not perfect. So I wanted to live in a Spanish speaking country and of course teach. So it's like a two birds, uh, one stone situation. Yeah. Unfortunately, there were not many opportunities in Spain or other Spanish-speaking countries, so I decided to look into Asia. I had never been to Asia, so I thought, what an experience that would be, right? Mm -hmm. Not just to travel to Asia, but to teach and live in Asia. So then I had a friend who um, actually also graduated from the Tesla program uh, at Concordia. So she was finishing her contract in Shanghai, China at the school mm -hmm. where I taught. And uh, she told me that she could recommend me. And that's what happened. But at the same time, concurrently, mm -hmm. I did apply to other schools. Uh, I did get an interview. I got accepted. I got an offer. But it turned out that I just took, I accepted uh, to work at the school where my friend was teaching. Okay. So it was 
it was through a friend, actually, because this kind of leads into my next question, which is, so what was the process like for finding and then applying for the jobs? Because I imagine it it's different in China <laughs> than it is, and, and I'm sure and it varies from school to school. Um, so what really was that process like? Like, who did you reach out to? How did you know to reach out to a particular person? What was that like? Yeah, so um, if I put my friend aside, so example, I didn't have that friend, I didn't have that contact, it was still quite easy to to find opportunities. So I started with a simple search, like a simple Google search. So it was uh, teaching abroad in China, and then you're going to have so many opportunities that come up. So that was a start. Uh, then I started to get to know the the areas or the cities where I wanted to teach in Asia. Then it kind of came down to Shanghai because there were so many opportunities. Since they're they're really looking for English teachers, they do have a lot of opportunities. So the process is not that complicated, and uh, it's very easy to apply. I think it's it's a matter of, if I remember correctly, it's a matter of contacting the HR person. Sometimes you can apply just the same way that you would apply here for a job opportunity, which is uh, an online form. But sometimes you contact the HR person, then they get back to you, and then it's a back and forth in messages, and then you end up applying, having a uh, an interview online, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's it. What did you do to prepare? Like, So did yeah. you start learning a little bit of Mandarin? Like, did you start reading about Shanghai? Like, what did you do once you, you went through this process of finding the job, applying for the job, getting hired? What did you do to prepare? And actually, also, another question in that, how long was that process? <laughs> so that was a very good question. That was, um, I think it was around March. So around this time right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had to be there in July. So it was a few months before. Okay. It wasn't something like six months or or a year. So, so it was just, pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite fast, I okay. would say. Um, thankfully, I did have a friend, like I said, who was teaching there. So she helped me a lot. She was my go-to person to ask all my questions. I would contact her almost every day because I'd have a question or two that would pop up. Uh, so she would answer a lot of my questions. And so um, just like a side note, whenever I met people who were going to teach in China or who were interested, I told them that I would be available to answer all their questions as well, because I think it's it's so um, it's so useful to have this person, this resource person that you can mm-hmm. turn to. So I can be that resource person. It, it would be my pleasure to help anyone who's willing to do this as well. Oh, um, that's so lovely. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. And aside from having my great friend who helped me answer so many questions, I did Google a lot. So I did look up videos about Shanghai. I did read articles about Shanghai. I joined some groups as well. So my friend uh, made me join a few groups mm-hmm. on this app called WeChat. So WeChat is like a Chinese um What's the English one? What, what do we use? WhatsApp. So it's WhatsApp, like a Chinese yeah. WhatsApp. And it's such a great app. You have yeah. everything on there. So, of course, you can chat. You can send voice memos. You can uh, pay your bills in China with that. You can oh, do yeah. everything on, oh, on yeah. WeChat. What's cool yeah. about WeChat, too, is you can join groups. Like, I yes. remember that was the big thing about WeChat that was different from other platforms that I used here is that it, it seems very group-based. Like, you can just join a group. casually you don't need to know anyone really and and you can communicate that way yeah absolutely I was nodding my head the entire time I don't Mm -hmm. for the listeners who are listening I was just (laughs) nodding and nodding because 
it's mm-hmm. such a, a group. It, it's really uh, geared towards little communities and little groups and, and being together and socializing, which I thought was, was uh, amazing because I've never experienced this here. You have your own friends, groups of friends, and that's usually who you stick to right throughout your life here. That's such a good point. And I think that actually leads in nicely to the next question, which is more about the culture, you know, because I think that's and and the culture shock that you experienced, like when you actually got there. Um, Okay, wait, so again, I kind of have two questions in one here right now. So one is about the culture shock. So when you got there, paint a picture for me, like what, what was what was that like, really? Like, what shocked you? What? Yeah, what were you not expecting? But also tell me, how were you feeling leading up to it? Just emotionally, what was what was going on? Because I imagine it was very nerve wracking and exciting, just so many emotions. So tell me, tell me about the lead up and then tell me about when you got there. Oh, that's such a great question. And I think the lead up was almost more emotional than getting there. It was the lead up was um it was really something. It's something that I hadn't experienced in a little while. So um, I did this interview process, right? So the interviews at different schools, finally, I decided to go with uh, my friend's school. And then they sent the contract. So that's when I was like, oh my God, what do I do? Do I actually go? Like, am I doing this? What am I doing? You know, you get wrapped up in your things and, and the application process and interviews, but then it's like, all right, that's the real deal. Like, I'm I'm going to go to China. Like, I'm I'm going to be there for at least a year. So I was going for a year initially. So I was like, okay, like this is big. Like I'm going to live there alone. I don't know anyone. My friend was leaving, by the way. I never taught at the same time because she left for Kuwait. Um, So the emotions were just flip-flopping. It was going left and right. I was like, okay, do I do it? Do I not? So finally, when I accepted, when I signed the contract, sent it back, that's when everything kind of calmed down. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I made the right decision. I feel great about this. Now let me start preparing, which is what we spoke about before. Let me start yeah. preparing. That's when I had started asking all these questions. And you had asked actually if I took any Mandarin classes. Yeah. And I did. I found this this woman who was giving classes. I started them. But I quit after after a little bit, after maybe like six or seven classes. I quit because... I didn't feel it was relevant at the time, like right at the moment, I couldn't use it. And mm-hmm. I, I quit and I was okay with it. But then getting there, getting to China, that's when I kind of started giving myself my own classes, where I'd have a list of things I wanted to know how to say. So then I would ask my coworkers, I would ask um, local people, or I would point to something, then they would say the word, and then I would write it down. So I would kind of be my own teacher. Okay. And then, so, so when you got there, cause I, I know that even getting off the plane, like just the, I don't know, finding the taxi, did they, how did they help? Did the school help you in any way? Did they maybe set you up with accommodation? Did you have to find that yourself? What, what was that like? And also this school, what was the deal with this school? Was it a primary? Was it secondary? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was a, a kindergarten in Shanghai and mm-hmm. it's an IB school, international baccalaureate school they were actually really accommodating. Uh, the, the benefits were great as well. Um, so I knew that I would be taken care of right from the start. So as soon as I stepped in the country, I knew that someone would greet me 
at the airport than uh, who actually is uh, the director of the English program uh, at the school. So wow. he, he greeted me at the airport. Uh, we took a cab together. We got to the hotel where I would be staying. So the school paid for five days at the hotel, which is the time they gave me to find an apartment. Okay. And even for the apartment, the school, um, who did I go with? It was the assistant principal that went to visit apartments with me. Oh my God. Within those five days. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. That is so supportive. It really is. It really is. So I thought that was, that was amazing because I would have had a a very hard time finding something. Um, Most Chinese people don't speak English. So communication was quite difficult. So I did find a place within those five days. Um, If you don't find a place or if, or if you visit places with um, one of the staff members and you're not satisfied or you would like something else, then it's at your own cost. So it's out of your own pocket. After the five days, you can keep paying for a hotel and you keep looking. Right. But that's amazing that they give you this this buffer time and that they actually go with you. Oh my God, I did not expect that. That's really, really, really cool. Do you know if that's um, standard amongst international schools or do you think that was like special to the school you taught at? I think just from talking to to friends I made in China, I think most schools do this, maybe not all, but it's probably a question to note down before accepting a contract or when having an interview is Mm -hmm. um, what kind of services are included uh, when you come to China, not necessarily only teaching, but uh, as soon as you come to China, will I have someone who will come and greet me at the airport? Uh, will Will I get assistance to find an apartment? So all these questions are are really important. Yeah. That is really good to note. And maybe actually we can talk about that a bit more later, like the the questions that you should ask, you know, when you're in that application process. But I also just want to go back to the question about the culture shock. So when you first get there, what struck you? I wouldn't say I had a cultural shock, which is odd because everything was completely different in China. Uh, The people, of course, the language. I had never been to Asia before. Uh, the food, uh, the way they they interact with one another, uh, their habits, uh, manners, everything was different. Mm-hmm. But for some odd reason, I didn't feel a culture shock. I wasn't I wasn't shocked. I was just excited. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh my god, this is so cool. It's so different. It kind of fueled me more than shocked me. So, like, what were those things? Like, give me examples of 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 some of the things that that sparked that excitement. Yeah, for sure. So let's say on the first day, I clearly remember on the first day when um, a staff member came to get me at the airport, we got to the hotel, he explained a few things. Oh, he even went to a phone shop Mm -hmm. to get my phone set up, my SIM card set up. Oh, that's huge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we even went to the bank together to to set up my bank account. That I'm not sure if it was on the first day or a few days later, but someone Mm -hmm. was there with me from the school. So yeah. that's great assistance as well. So anyways, so once we set up a few things with him, I was on my own for the rest of the day and the days to come, aside from, of course, looking for apartments. But the rest of the day, I was alone. So I would venture out and explore the neighborhood. And there was a an open, it's kind of like a strip mall on different floors in that area. So they had a ton of food, like fast food places and I was just looking left and right. I had no idea what to get. A lot of the foods didn't resemble to what we have here, the Chinese food we have here. 
So, and I didn't really learn Mandarin before coming, right? <laughs> Since I had quit. <laughs> right. So, mm -hmm. so um, just in terms of language ex exchange, I thought it was so interesting. And that's what we, that's what we experience as TESOL teachers, but the opposite. You know, we try to put ourselves in our, in our students' shoes where some of them don't speak a word of English. But now it was my turn where I didn't speak a word of Chinese and we couldn't understand each other. And I was in their country. Right. So something as simple as ordering food was, it, it took, I think, about 10 to 15 minutes to kind of figure out what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't mm -hmm. shy. I wasn't like, okay, just give me this and then pointing to an item. Like yeah. I, I wanted to understand the ingredients, um, not necessarily the name, but for them to at least point to it, mm -hmm. um, tell me about the price. So they would have a calculator and show me the price. So that was, I think that was one of the first um, interesting and exciting experiences that I had. Yeah, just ordering food. Ordering food, yeah. <laughs> I remember um, one thing that I thought was so different and cool because I was in Beijing and I remember there, like here, everything is very, um, how to say, like you can basically see any kind of storefront from the um, from the street, right? But there, you know, you go into these buildings and it's kind of like you said, you know, you're up the stairs, up the elevator, on the sixth floor, there's like a cool little art studio here, a cool little cafe there. Like It just seems like everything was so hidden and, and tucked away. And I remember that really struck me. And then the other thing, and I don't know if I'll keep this on the recording. We'll see. We'll see, guys, listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the squatting toilets. Oh, my did God. You, did you encounter that? Of course. They were yeah. all over. We need to keep this. We're keeping okay, it. Okay, <laughs> we're keeping it. We're keeping it. We're keeping it, guys. <laughs> the squatting yeah. toilets was definitely... But I did mm -hmm. experience this in other countries before in okay. China, so it wasn't a shock to me. Uh -huh. The only, I would say, surprising aspect was that pretty much all bathrooms were like this. All toilets yes. were like this. It was mm -hmm. rare that they had a, a normal sitting one. Yes, <laughs> yes. Usually the, the squatty potties. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. It's it's like small things like that. Like I remember, oh my God, the first evening I was there. So I was living with a family that I actually knew from Montreal and I was super, super close with them. They're like the most generous, kindest people. And um and I was teaching their two young kids. And I remember we went to a restaurant the first evening. And that was another thing. I mean, even just the the restaurant experiences there are like these, you have these big um, lazy Susan tables, oh, with like tons of little dishes. And oh my God, it's just incredible. But I remember when I had to go to the bathroom and the mom, you know, said to the little girl, like, take her, take her to the bathroom, <laughs> you know, because she's, because yeah, she knew that I was going to be uh, surprised. And the little girl, it was such a little bonding experience for us. We, she was so surprised at how inept I was. You're probably you know? like, what do I do? Teach me. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Oh so, my God. so yeah, uh, just, just things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, they're, they're little things, mm -hmm. but we're so used to having we're so used to living in the way we live mm -hmm. that simple things like a toilet or yeah. ordering food, yeah. they could be, they could be so surprising if it's different. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like you you have to create these. I mean, it's it's just so amazing to have new experiences like that, as simple as they are, because it's like these new neural connections. You know what I mean? Like we're just so in our routine and it's, it's. Uh, I agree 110%. Um, okay, but I want to talk about the teaching now. So that that's a bit about flying and then getting there and getting set up. But tell me about, tell me about the teaching. So what was really your role? What were your responsibilities? What was your day-to-day like? Um, how were you treated by the staff, the parents, the admin? Tell me about the teaching. Oh, so much to say. So, yeah. so much. I'm sure. <laughs> Buckle up, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, so, um, like I said, I taught at a kindergarten. And I think in most uh, schools where they offer uh, English classes or or not just classes, but um, an English, well, I'm saying not English classes because it's not once a week. It's an entire day in English, right? So any school that had this uh, where you would be teaching English, they also had a um, Chinese teacher. So I'm not sure if it goes all the way to high school, but I'm pretty sure that in elementary school, you also had in the same classroom, you also had a Chinese teacher. So in my classroom, in the kindergarten classroom, we had an English teacher, which was me, a Chinese teacher, and they called it a life teacher. So a life teacher was kind of like a helper, an assistant. Uh, She cleaned uh, a lot in the classroom because they were little kids. So the whole day we would spend, um, we would spend the whole day together, the three of us, every Uh day. Uh So we were like, Three teachers together. Well, two teachers, English and, and Chinese, and then the assistant. Um, so that was really interesting. And I liked it because sometimes when you're in a classroom by yourself, let's say here, right in Canada, mm-hmm. you need to run to the bathroom or you need to make a copy of this or go get something at the office. And it's really nice to have someone in the classroom. I love that supportive yeah. triad. I think that's actually so cool. And I never really heard of that. I mean, I've seen classes, um, yeah, where you'll have like two teachers maybe and and they're co-teaching, but I, I think that's really, really cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked it. And and um, I'm more of a, an independent person and teacher. I like doing my own thing. Um, I, I would usually not like to be bothered, let's say in my classroom, but I really enjoyed it. It was a, a really interesting experience to have this. Um, And then in terms of the school, so in the school, we had a principal who was a Chinese principal. She was a principal of the school. Then we had um, an English director. So he was in charge of uh, all the English teachers. And we were, I believe, eight English teachers. Then um, my role as a teacher was, um, of course, to be in the classroom all day or most of the day, if ever I had um, some work to do and I could work in the in the teacher's office I could do that if the Chinese teacher was teaching mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. sometimes I, I was able to do this not all the time um, and of course take care of the kids we had so many different classes so in the morning if I can talk about the schedule a little bit yeah please yeah? okay yeah absolutely so in the morning the kids would come in and it would be like um somewhat like a a breakfast slash greeting time where kids would come in, you know, one after the other. Um, They would have a bit of a a breakfast provided by the school. Uh, Then it was exercise time. So we went when it was nice. Well, nice. When it was 
nice or or okay outside if yeah. let's say it wasn't raining yeah or snowing uh, it barely snowed in shanghai by the way but if it was decent outside we'd go outside and do some exercise uh, and the exercise consisted of dancing to an english song dancing oh. to a chinese song fun uh-huh. and doing was it a few other exercises yes i think it was a few other exercises with the chinese teacher I love that yeah. so much. Oh, yes. uh-huh. And singing the Chinese anthem. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We would sing the Chinese anthem as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was your morning routine. And then, yes. yeah. And like, so what kind of, like, what kind of little projects would you do with them? What kind of things would you do with the kids? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so the curriculum for the English class was actually really, really interesting. It's from a New York university and it was the reading and writing program. So we would have, um, for the English class, which was uh, once a day, 45 minutes once a day, um, we would have to teach a lesson from that program. Um, so, of course, it, was, it wasn't random classes, right? We had to follow from lesson one to lesson two and so forth. And, and it was great because five-year-old kids, my five-year-old students, were able to learn reading and writing strategies. Yeah, and and they wrote sentences at the end of the year, and they read books. It was that's amazing. That was astonishing for me. Oh I God. just couldn't believe the progress that was made in a year. Wow! So they gave you the materials. They said this is the curriculum yes. that you're going to follow. Did you have much time to prepare for your classes for the year in general, or did you did it feel rushed to you? Mm-hmm. So because it's an IB school, it was an IB school. We had to meet as a team with the same grade level. So um, in the school, they had pre-K, so pre-kindergarten, K1, K2, and K3. So I was teaching K2. And um, before a semester started, we had three semesters, three terms, I believe. So before a semester started, all the teachers were teaching K2. So there were three. Mm -hmm. Um, We would meet up and then discuss... Uh, kind of like the the bigger lesson plan for the whole semester. Mm-hmm. So anything related to IB, um, the lesson plans, um, what the Chinese teachers would be doing. So it was really organized, mm, and the whole great. semester would be set up for for uh, that time. Wow, that is yeah. that's fantastic. Did yeah. you feel you had a good work life balance when you were there? I did. Uh, I was surprised, actually, because here mm-hmm. in, in Canada, it's kind of difficult to have a, a good work-life balance. Yeah. And even in the States, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. as as most of us know, we have to work uh, weeknights and weekends. But I rarely took any work home there because the planning, I mean, yes, we set up the entire semester together. But in terms of worksheets, um, we had to do this along the way. I really enjoyed doing those, so I, I, I was mainly in charge of that. Um, and and I would take I would take lunch breaks. I would take um, any time that the the Chinese teacher was with the kids and she didn't need my help. I would kind of take that time to lesson plan and grade and and write comments in the report card. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the time I would take. Okay, and okay, that's that's amazing because I always feel that that's really it. Eh? It's like. Work-life balance is as a function of of being in an organized system. So tell me a little bit about the the school culture and also 
perhaps your interaction with parents, your relationship with the parents? That's such an important question. And for sure, I'll answer uh, the question about the interaction with the parents, but I'll also talk about how it was with the students and, and staff members. Mm, staff, yes, admin, please do. Everyone, um, a, a, a bit about everyone, because I think it's quite important. And it was also quite different with each group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start with the students and then I'll move on to, to, to parents. So with the students, you since they were since they were kids, if you show them affection, if you show them interest, if you joke around with them, they will just open up to you and they'll want to learn because they'll be excited about being in your classroom, about being with you, about being next to you. So I mean it's it's pretty much the same in any country, even here. If you show your interest, if if you joke around with the kid, even here, they'll be all open, they'll be all here, and they'll want to know about you and about what you're teaching. So that's what it was with the kids. It was one of my my favorite um, aspects of teaching in China was the kids. So I, I love my students. Um, then the parents, I would say, are very. Most of them are very um, supportive and collaborative. So they do want to help the teacher. They do understand that uh, the teacher sets uh, rules in the classroom because they like rules. And um, the teacher has guidelines and there's homework and um, there are certain things that we need to follow. So the parents are very much willing to to participate in this exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I found that too, that there's a, a parent involvement and a, a respect yeah. Two, I would yes. say that is different, I'd say, than what you encounter here. Yes. Yeah. You said it very well. It's different. Yeah. And and I <laughs> definitely felt it a little bit more there. <laughs> well, definitely yeah. a little yeah, bit gonna... <laughs> opposites, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. I totally get it. <laughs> and what um, about the relationship with your with your colleagues and um and just oh, with the school sure. in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um I'll just I'll just add a little mm-hmm. point about the parents. Yeah. So yes, they were very collaborative and involved. Um, but at the same time they did they did need feedback quite often. Mm. So they are demanding in that sense, but it's nothing bad. I mean, it's nothing negative. They just, uh, they like having pictures of their kids from the classroom. They like um, hearing about uh, a certain experience. And I'm not talking about, let's say, every single day writing to each parent. That's definitely not what it is. But it's just from time to time, uh, whenever there's an activity, you could take a video of a kid uh, or a few pictures and then you send it to a parent. How would you send it to them? Did, oh, WeChat. WeChat, yeah. eh? Okay. So again, we would have a, a group chat with the whole classroom, with all the parents from the classroom. And if it was pertaining to all the parents, that I, then I would send it in the group chat. And a lot of the parents would add me as well. And it's a choice, but I, I, I didn't have a problem adding parents um, because I did like talking to them privately if there was something to discuss about their child. Um so, so that's interesting and that's different, right? Like that's another thing about WeChat is that it's this casual platform, but it's really, really all-encompassing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just great for everything. Mm-hmm. And every, by everything, I mean everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing about WeChat too, this was a surprise for me is that, yeah, and, and you mentioned it at the beginning, but you're banking you pay for everything on WeChat. Mm-hmm. Was it was it like that actually um, for you when you were there that everything you pay via QR code that you scan with your phone? Everything. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. So even let's say electricity mm-hmm. or um, internet, I would pay through WeChat. Yeah. yeah. I would yeah. get the bill in the mail and then, you know, you scan or enter um, a few numbers in WeChat and then, yeah, it's there. Everything's there. Done. Yeah, that that was that was the, so easy. That that was shocking to me. I remember even lady on the street selling bottled water would have a little QR code. You just don't pay with cash or by card. Yeah, in, in, exactly. In China, at least in in Beijing and, and Shanghai. Yeah. Okay. What about um? What about the culture in in the school? I guess is a bit broad, but but did you find there was anything that was really different from the the school culture here in in Quebec? Yes, it was quite different for different reasons. The first reason is that there were a lot of Chinese teachers and staff and then the English teachers. So, of course, uh, two-thirds of the school, or maybe even a little bit more, was Chinese and the rest was English. And I thought it was really unfortunate that we saw two separate groups. Mm. So I tried to mingle with with the Chinese staff as well because I thought they were really awesome. Yes, for sure, there was a language barrier. A lot of them didn't speak English. Uh, aside from the Chinese teachers, the staff didn't really speak English. But, you know, we can communicate in different ways. So just saying good morning or like offering a little treat or something from something that you made at home or baked, you know, that, that kind of initiated the interaction. So, yeah, there was this... Um, divide divide yeah. between the staff which i thought was really unfortunate yeah mm. but you can always try you know you can always try to interact and and you can do your own thing you don't you don't need to be part of the divide you can go and talk to whoever you want right <laughs> and reach out i mean that's probably a fantastic way to also sharpen your your own language skills so on that note just about linguistic differences how was it with communication within the school would you get say let's say there's like a bulletin of sorts like would you also get it in english or would it just be in mandarin usually how was the inter-school communication communication was always in both okay so that was great we mm-hmm. also had a group chat with the entire school mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> so the english and the chinese teachers and chinese staff and that was always in both so that everybody can understand mm-hmm. or even on the bulletin board usually would be in both languages so that was Mm -hmm. fine okay let's talk a little bit just about um let's take so we have the the school experience let's talk a little bit just a bit more globally here what what surprised you just about like what did you really not see coming about the the experience as a whole of teaching in shanghai you know that's a question that kind of ties into the previous question and, and the second part of it, too. So I, mm-hmm. I wanted to mention also the interaction with the English teachers oh, yeah. together. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. was, to answer your last question, that, that was one of the most surprising things to me. I thought that the interaction between the English teachers was the most negative for me. Interesting. It was, it was almost difficult to interact with one another. So there would be almost clans of people, let's say two or three people that would always sit together and then two or three people that would, you know, and, and I felt like we weren't really working together Hmm. aside from a few people that you got along with. I, I, I didn't feel, um, there was camaraderie. Is that how Hmm. you say it? Yeah, totally. You could say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you think that was like, what do you think was the source of that? Is it? (sighs) 
are you able to pinpoint it or of course i am i'm not sure if i'm able oh. to <laughs> i should talk about it more in detail but uh-huh. but yeah of course i i, I knew what it was about and yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people, I'll try to say it this way, a lot of people in foreign countries, a lot of, sorry, English teachers in foreign countries are in passage, mm-hmm. right? So it's not, they don't stay for a lifetime. I mean, some of them do, barely any do, but some do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But most of these teachers are there for a year, maybe two years, maybe three, maybe four. So the attitude they have the way they treat other people is a little bit different than at home. It's it's almost weird to say because at home we know we're going to see the same people again. Or mm-hmm. if we cross someone on the street, I mean, it's still in our city, in our country, right? Someone might know someone. But there, it, it feels like sometimes they don't care as much. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I'm glad I, you I, brought that up because I think that's, that's a pretty um, candid reality. And that's true. Yeah. Which is sad, but I but I I saw that too actually. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And to be honest, it also goes down to how management is. Mm-hmm. So if the English director sets the tone, uh, whatever whatever tone the English director sets, that's what it's going to be like for all of the teachers. Right. So if it's if it's a director who is um, who puts an emphasis on being polite and respectful and working together, then that's what it's going to be. Right. Whereas if it's not that, well, it's not that. <laughs> right. Right. I don't want to go into detail, but yeah. yeah. No, I, t- I totally, I totally get what you mean. And especially I find um, if you do encounter that kind of culture and you're, you're just starting off and you're very new, sometimes it can feel a bit intimidating to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to change the whole vibe yeah. of this place, you know, <laughs> exactly. um, when that's really what you want to do. But I think like small steps can, can lead to that, that change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe yes. To, to be, to be honest, maybe yes, there could be a little change, but also maybe no. Yeah. Because yeah. again, it's the same director. It's the same person. I I think not only in a school, but in any workplace, whatever tone the manager or director or CEO or whoever it may be, whatever tone this person sets, that's what it's, that's what the working space is going to be like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So sometimes, although one or two people want to change things, it could change with the way others interact with you. But at the basis, it's still going to be a little different. (laughs) I I totally get it. So now just a bit more in, in a positive light, what, what were some just really rewarding things that, that surprised you just about the whole experience, like something you yes. really didn't see coming? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, there were so many rewarding things. I can't even, mm-hmm. can't even list all of them. But to name a few, one of them is definitely um, the obvious one, which was to move to China and to try this experience on my own without knowing anyone there without knowing anything about the culture or uh, barely knowing the language, I thought that was so rewarding to experience something so different. That was one. Um, Another one is definitely with the kids. Oh, they marked my life forever. (laughs) These little students were all gems. And of course, just like in any classroom, even here, there are some kids that that take a bit more time to learn and some are are super fast and then you have the middle but 
I connected with each and every single one of those kids. Because even the student who barely spoke English at the end of the year, he would come to me instead of the Chinese teacher when something was wrong. And he would try to use the, the few words he knew, but he felt comfortable and safe. And so just connecting with those kids. That's amazing. Was so rewarding. So rewarding. Wow. I can, uh, it's too bad. I mean, this is a podcast, so it's just audio, but I like, I see it in your, in your face, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, just, yeah. Yeah. You're glowing. Just talking about it. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's Thank amazing. You. And something else that was, that was mm -hmm. rewarding, of course, was, was the, the development, the, the student's development. So mm -hmm. the learning they've done from day one to the last day of school, I've honestly, I've never seen such, uh, an enormous progress in a classroom here in Canada. Yeah. In China, they, they, um, they're very pushy on learning on, um, being better on, on improvement on, mm -hmm. on all of that, that the learning is so fast. It's very rapid. And so to look at day one and the last day, I mean, it's, it's just incredible the change you see. So that was extremely rewarding. <laughs> That's incredible. Can you tell me a little bit um, about some of the challenges, like the, the unexpected challenges? Yeah, for sure. I would say the biggest unexpected challenge, something that I didn't foresee at all, was retrieving money at the end, at the very end of my contract. So initially, uh, I had signed a one-year contract. Finally, I decided to stay for two years because the experience was way too awesome. <laughs> But at the end of those two years, Retrieving money to then bring it to Canada, not even retrieving, transferring, was very difficult. It was such a difficult process, and I was super stressed out until the end. So it's important to figure this out with the school. And as much as um, the school helped me in different ways, especially at the beginning, this at the end, I feel like they could have done better uh, with There was an issue with the bank. So at the bank, they're very strict. Well, actually, the government is very strict with banks, mm -hmm. um, allowing people to, to retrieve any kind of money from China, to, to take away money from China and bring it somewhere else. They don't really want that. So the school had told me to, to do this process with the bank. I don't even remember what the process was because it didn't work. But they told me to do something, and um, I couldn't get the right information on time for the bank. Okay. I think I had a week left before leaving. So then I started panicking. I spoke to a few parents with whom I was pretty good friends with. Thankfully, I was close to some parents. That's, that's a tip to, mm, that's to a good tip. keep in mm -hmm. mind is to be close to parents. So two parents really wanted to help. And uh, there was one who had a bank account in British Columbia because they would travel to Canada uh, from time to time. So she had a bank account in British Columbia. So she told me, you can if you want, you can transfer all the money you have um, in China to my bank account in China. And from my bank account, uh, bank account in Canada, I'll transfer whatever you need to your bank account in Canada. That is crazy. That is, that crazy, is crazy. And I, ne I really needed to trust yeah. that parent I transferred a good sum of money. Oh, my God. So I guess the moral of that story is, yeah, you have to iron that out with the school from the yeah. beginning. Oh, yeah. From the yeah. beginning. Wow. Exactly. From the beginning, or at least I would say maybe two months before you stop working. 
And I had done it a week before because I was waiting for my last pay to come in. So I waited for that. And, and then although I was inquiring, it seemed like the process would work. Um, so that's why I wasn't panicking or anything a week before, because I thought it would work. I was talking about it with admin and finally with the bank, it didn't work. So that's why I had to go through a parent's bank account in Canada. Okay, uh, guys, that's listeners. <laughs> Take note yeah. because uh, that's, yeah, wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah. And then I also have a friend uh, who joined me during my second year of teaching. She's from Montreal and she had the same issue. Did she do the same thing? She did something very similar, but with a, with a stranger. Oh my God. So she found someone who did this in China. She found someone who has a bank account um, in Canada and in China who resided in China, but this person, that's what they did. So it was a word of mouth. So it was a recommendation. Someone had done it with them already. So she knew that she could somewhat trust him. So she started with a lower amount. So a little amount, let's say example, $5,000, um, so she saw if that worked and it worked. So then she transferred the rest, but it was the same way. She, she had to transfer everything to him in RMB and from his Canadian bank account, he then transferred to her. Wow. But it's funny. I mean, it, it, it's, it's small things like that, you know, that you don't think about, but, but yeah, I mean, that's a huge stress. So if you could turn back time let's say, back in 2016. What, what, would you have done anything differently? And if so, what? Yes, very good question. Um, so I remember mentioning during our conversation right now, during this, this uh, interview, mm -hmm. I remember mentioning that as a professional, I'm, I'm pretty independent and I like doing things myself. Um, I, I like doing things my own way, let's say. So when I got to China, I didn't, um, I found I didn't participate in social events enough. And that's something that I regret. I mean, it's, it's, we shouldn't have regrets in life. You know, what's done is done. But if I had to do it again, yeah. if ever I, I went again, I would definitely be part of social events more. What kind of social events would they do? Oh my gosh, so many. So anything you can think of. So it could be, for example, back in when was it 2016 uh game of thrones was playing so they would come out with game of thrones episodes so they would have game of thrones nights where they would show the episode and it would be a whole evening with food and drinks and a ton of people would gather and and watch the episode together so that's one that's just one so this is like staff or is this oh no oh sorry this is like for all of shanghai oh wow oh, yeah cool. sorry yeah so, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. sorry if i wasn't clear so Social events within Shanghai with, um, with expats. Okay. Expats, and you know what? A lot of those events, um, locals came as well. So, for example, if, if I wanted to join uh, an event, I could have asked a, a staff member at my school, let's say someone I really got along with, uh, a, a local, I could have asked, like, hey, do you want to join? And we would go together. So you would still see some locals at those events as well. Yeah. So partaking more in, in just social... Yeah, any kind yeah, of social yeah. events, any kind of social. They had yeah. dance classes. They had yoga classes. Uh, they had and a part in parks, you know, outside, not only the usual yoga class you would have in, in a room. Mm -hmm. um, they would have pottery making. They would have literally anything you can think of, any class or event you can think of. They had in Shanghai. It was such a fun city. 
You know, it's funny. I remember when I was there, um, within the first few days, I noticed that a lot of middle-aged women, this is like a thing you see all over China, yeah. a lot of middle-aged women, they, they go to the squares and they dance together. Do you yes. remember this? Oh, yeah. The, these choreographed Zumba-esque <laughs> dances. Yeah. And I remember being so fascinated by it and wanting to join so badly, but being, you should have. <laughs> being very into Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. my God. I would, no, I was too intimidated. And I'm like, what are they going to think about this little girl? Because And they, they all knew the dances. It was just amazing. But I, I loved just watching them. But but yeah, I, I totally get it. Like, that's something I, I regret. It's not just... <laughs> going for it <laughs> participating yeah yeah, yeah that mm -hmm. was huge i i loved participating in those kind of things mm -hmm. and i i found that the chinese were really into arts but any yeah. kind of arts mm. whether it's uh, dancing music painting well visual arts yeah any kind of arts and so in any park there were many parks in the city so you would enter any park and you would see all of this in the park you would see some people dancing or doing the the, the square dancing mm -hmm. um or social dancing or people playing music people playing chess uh people doing tai chi you would always mm. see this in mm -hmm. every park yeah that was really awesome to see. and you know and this ties back and i think this is a cultural thing and this ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning almost like with how wechat functions like it's it's really group-based and community-based and i think that just reflects the culture and what you see there i was i remember being really struck by just how many community activities seem to be going on and i thought that was just beautiful yes exactly so that's what i that's what I wish I had done a bit more of is be part of community activities. I totally get it. Okay, I have um oh, I have three more questions. All right. So, let's let's <laughs> let's do this cuz we can talk forever you and I. I know this. Every time. <laughs> I know. So this this whole experience of teaching in Shanghai, teaching kindergarten, what did it teach you about yourself as a teacher? It taught me, you know what, it taught me more about my my personal self than me as a teacher. And of course, that translates, right? When you develop as a person, of course, your development, your professional development is there as well. So I would say it changed me as, yeah, as a person, first and foremost. So it, it taught me a lot of things about myself, things that I didn't really notice or realize. I kind of figured it out I kind of like saw my flaws more I saw my strengths more and sometimes that's what it takes to change right that's what it takes to to, to improve yourself is the first step is to realize and then you take steps to to improve I think that's a function um, of like stepping out of your comfort zone yes you're totally right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you really so, encounter that mm -hmm. yeah so when you're you're stuck in the same in the same box, doing the same activities with the same kind of people. Um, I mean, yes, for sure, it's great. It's comforting. It's comfortable. But it's when you step out of that that you, you, you need to use different skills. You need to use uh, your thinking differently. You're mm -hmm. acting differently. You need to be resourceful. You need to figure things out on mm -hmm. your own mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially on your own yeah and then when you prove to yourself that you're capable of that and you can do yeah. it that's a, an amazing feeling mm -hmm. okay so th this type of teaching that you did would you recommend it to to any teacher like any graduate of the b.ed or do you think that it, it actually takes a particular kind of of teacher to to do that 
I would recommend it to anyone, mm. absolutely anyone. It doesn't matter what your strengths or weaknesses are. It doesn't matter what your temperament is, your skill set. I, I would just say go, go and do it mm -hmm. because you'll learn about yourself. And when you learn about yourself, you become a better professional as well. Mm -hmm. You become a better friend. You become a better um just person, person in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I think those experience those experiences are life changing. Mm -hmm. So yes, I would absolutely recommend it to anyone. Fabulous. And then <laughs> just as just to tie it all together, wrap it up here, do you have any specific words of advice for the BA student who let's say they they're thinking about teaching in China? Uh, maybe any words of caution, words of encouragement, any last things you want to say? Of course. Uh, so for someone who would like to teach, I would say abroad, not necessarily China, mm -hmm. I, I would strongly recommend to check out different countries. I'm not saying China is, is, is a no-go, but I'm just saying it's, it's great to, to see what kind of opportunities there are in different countries. Um, and then from seeing that, you kind of get to know what you're looking for. Mm. So I had found opportunities of, let's say, teaching business English to adults, but it was two hours in the morning, two hours in, in uh, during lunchtime, two hours in the afternoon, or let's say teaching uh, tutoring, let's say after school, something like that in a different country. So you really get to know what you're looking for when you're teaching abroad. And then with that, then you're able to select which countries or cities would be best for what you're looking for. Um, And from there, I would just say, go for it. Apply. Just plunge. Like, take just the plunge. Pl exactly. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. dive in. And, you know, if you apply, you're not necessarily accepting the job right away. So some people are, are hesitant about just applying. I would just say apply. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know, who knows? Even if you get it and going through the interview, it doesn't mean that you have to accept the interview. Do the interview see what kind of questions they ask, see what kind of environment they're describing, see what kind of person you're talking to, and then decide if you want it or not. Right. So for, for any kind of teaching abroad experience, just keep moving forward, like keep diving. Oh, yeah, just enjoy it, experience it. That That's like words for everything. I, I don't know. That's a bit of a a motto of mine. Like you just have to keep moving forward. You yeah. just have to keep moving, whatever you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So cool. And if there's if there's anyone who's willing to teach um, specifically in Shanghai, China, I'd be more than willing to answer questions or to help out. Um, I'm still in touch with HR from Shanghai. Uh, they do have different schools. So it's a little um, school board. So it's a little school board, but they do have, I believe, maybe five around five schools in Shanghai. They do have some in, in there's one in Hong Kong or two in Hong Kong. So I'm still in touch with uh, the HR person for the school board. Mm -hmm. um, so if anyone is interested in teaching in Shanghai or if anyone has questions, I'm definitely there to help. That's fabulous. And listeners, take advantage of that. That's amazing. Yvette, thank you so much for telling us about that experience. I feel like we could talk for hours about this. And <laughs> I, I mean, oh, there's, yeah, yeah oh, there's, there's just, uh, yeah such a multifaceted experience so much to get into so thank you so much for sharing that story and to the listeners like she said 
get in touch. You know, if this is something truly that you're thinking of doing, you can always find the Tesla Resource Center on Facebook or on Instagram, on Twitter, even on LinkedIn. And um, feel free to reach out to us. And we're happy to provide any information that we can about teaching in China and about so many other things. So <laughs> yeah, Yvette, thank you so much. <laughs>